Dallas Secret Movie Clubbers, and welcome to Secret Movie Club Podcast 97. Also, our second year anniversary. We've been doing this podcast for two years, as Connor just reminded me. Our first podcast was March 27th, 2020. And uh, that's incredible. So we were doing a podcast within 12 days of the shutdown. It was really quick. The first one, I think I, I, we had like a two-day turnaround time. I've gotten slower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Connor is still editing them within three days. So thank you, Connor. Today, to celebrate that second year anniversary and just being three away from 100, there are a lot of, a lot of things coming up in a, in a good way, for us at least. We hope you get some small joy from the joy we get. But today we're going to be talking about movies that – we love that other people are indifferent to or actively dislike. And we hope you enjoy it. It'll be a, a short, sweet, tight little podcast. Uh, I'm going to say that differently. It's going to be a short. <laughs> <laughs> I just sounded like a 1970s trucker right there. <laughs> it's going to be a short, sweet podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Let's introduce ourselves. Who is with us today? Hey, it's Daniel. Hey, it's me, Connor Lloyd Cruz, the people's champion. Ah, hello, America. I love Mamma Mia. It is my favorite movie. <laughs> Ew! <laughs> okay, you know what? You know oh, what? that's incredible. You know what? No, I... Wow, what did it, what did it mean? Whoa, what, what a turnaround. Edwin, I'm just, just for the record, can I hear that again? I mean, I think I heard you wrong. Just one more time. I love Mamma Mia. It is my favorite movie. Wow, whoa. That's incredible. That... You know what Edwin just proved? People change. If you believe that people can change, people, people grow. Can. Yeah. No, damn you, Connor. <laughs> and I'm Craig, the founder programmer of Secret Movie Club. Did everyone get their intro in right there? Yeah. No, yes. no, I didn't do my intro, but someone <laughs> took some audio and, and manipulated my voice. I, 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 somebody did more than that. They have an entire soundboard now for the third year of the podcast. I decided to uh, we're gonna we're gonna be helping people get the get the lead out, and uh, decided to start making it a little bit more like drive time radio. I was about so, to say we sound like an FM morning show now. That's all Connor Lloyd Cruz. Whoa! And I've got a bunch of different Edwins like this. Go to hell. <laughs> Why do you need that, though? Edwin's going to say that five times this podcast. Well, now I can do it when I want. I can do it secretly and gaslight Edwin. (laughs) (laughs) See, Edwin, that's what happens when you use your time constructively. Uh, Yeah, third year. We continue. I mean, Connor continues to innovate the podcast. That's pretty amazing. I'm impressed. Just so you know, guys, by the time you hear this tonight, we are going to be doing David Byrne's directorial debut, True Stories on 35 millimeter. Uh, We had a sold out crowd for Stop Making Sense, and it only made sense that we would then do true stories which was just made a year or two after it has a young john goodman has wild wildlife one of my favorite talking heads tracks and uh, is a very david bird idiosyncratic movie then on saturday we are doing scorsese docs i'm always excited about everything we do but this is one where i feel like i haven't seen this programmed ever so i'm i'm sort of excited about it we're doing what many would probably consider the three most important documentaries he made in the 1970s italian american about his mom and dad which i love American Boy about Stephen Prince who showed up in Taxi Driver but was a personal friend of Scorsese's and where you hear the story that Quentin Tarantino adapted for like an entire scene of Pulp Fiction about having to jam the needle into the heart to wake someone up out of a drug overdose and then The Last Waltz, one of the greatest music documentaries ever made about the band's last performance and that's on 35mm film so come see a night of 70s Scorsese documentary. Yeah baby! (laughs) 
And then Wednesday, March 30th, we're doing our second night of open mic short night, March 22. It'll probably mostly be filled with people that took up the challenge to do a short in March. The theme is musical. I'm doing one as well. I have an original that I'm putting in there. Edwin, you are not in this one. Although I do have one more short with Edwin that I I have to come up with a name. Working title is Edwin Goes to Vote. And I, that one, I just got to get that edited. It'll be for the July one. Yeah, there you go. There's a master shot, a one in there I'm very proud of that Edwin helped make happen. But come to see that. That's our next open mic short night. And then Thursday, March 31st, we end March with The Harder They Come, the amazing Jamaican musical, incredible album filled with ska and reggae music, Jimmy Cliff, and a whole bunch of, you know, Toots and the Maytals, incredible music. I think to this day, still Jamaica's highest grossing movie, the movie that put Caribbean cinema on the map. As always, you can write us a community at supermovieclub.com get tickets at eventbrite supermovieclub and go to supermovieclub.com two years wow man and, and you're still the same craig two years two mamma mia screenings two trash pictures and I can delightly rot in the balls of hell. The, the balls of hell? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, just go with it. Okay, yeah, I like that hell has testicles. That's incredible. <laughs> if we're going by legacy numbering, and especially if we count the radio hours, which we probably shouldn't, we're actually in like 109 episodes or something like that. Yeah, no, totally. But because we, and, and I think this is right, because we considered to defend these movies a different podcast and the radio hours as their own thing. And the um that weird transmission from the future we got uh, last Last April Fools. Oh, which is right around the corner. Thank goodness we're not doing that again. But here we are, guys. Two years. The, we're going to talk about movies that we love that other people are indifferent or hate. But just before we do that, this also, weirdly, I would say, again, my German stepfather, Henry, who was a second father to me, had a number of German sayings. One of them was, don't paint the devil on the wall, which I can't remember exactly in German. But the point was, you know, it's a superstition. Like, don't count your chickens before they hatch, all that stuff. And it's certainly true we're not fully out of COVID, but it's interesting that we started this when the COVID first wave, wave one, March 2020, was crashing on our shores. And uh, we may be doing this episode as potentially the last super shutdowny wave. I don't know how else to say it may be behind us. And we may be moving into here in Los Angeles, at least you no longer have to wear masks in movie theaters. I walked into a Walgreens yesterday and it said the sign had been changed from required to recommend. We are moving into what may be post-COVID. We'll see. Post-COVID, but pre-World War III, as we may be on the verge of war with China and Russia over to Ukraine. We can get into that another time. But nevertheless, COVID may be more in our rearview mirror than out the driver's front side. So, guys, any thoughts to start with before we head into our movies about two years of podcasting? It's definitely one of the longer things like this Practically a creative thing. Infotainment, I guess. I don't know. I wouldn't really call this any informational. Yeah, I don't think it's infotainment. We're not really trying to... We tell people the movies we're doing, but we're not trying to sell people on stuff. We're just having a gab. It's one of the longer things I've been committed to that way. It's interesting, you know, the four of us kind of shaked out pretty early on, and we've been on pretty universally most of them. You've been on all of them. I think I've only missed some of the Defend This movies and one or two others, and then uh, these guys have missed a handful, but not too many. The early podcasts have other secret movie clubbers, but then most of them <laughs> decided they, they didn't really dig it, I think. Whereas we all love meeting each other and debating. Genuinely, a little bit of zap on it. It was like a great thing to start things out, but as like the pandemic became pandemic proper, it was like very nice to have a routine where you see your friends all the time. 
I think the whole thing's been a very nice way to stay in touch, but also like keep active, like having stuff we need to watch and discuss. And I think it's very lovely. I like hanging out with you guys. And I hope that we have some viewers that feel the same and then are just like, these guys, these freaking guys. You know, I, I started on my phone. You know, well, you know this. Started on my phone in a room, surrounded by DVDs, a can of Coke. And then we went from, and from my phone. <laughs> we went from my phone to my Xbox on a Kinect. And it was fun. It was groovy. It was digging. And then the Kinect broke, and my Xbox broke. And then the lovely Daniel Ott over here gave me his wife's computer, which is very nice, which I'm on right now. And uh, yeah, you know, it's just. Uh... We're still recording on the phone, though. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes, we are. We are recording on the phone. Do you think you've grown over these two years, Edwin? Because uh, I say, I think your head's grown. <laughs> you've had some life experiences, Edwin. Yeah, I did. I, did. I, fell, I fell in love, heartbroken, saw movies. Had a 180 degree turn on certain films. <laughs> gone to more screens than i ever gone before. You also said that thing earlier. What was it one more time about Don't Mama Mia? Don't you dare. Mia. It is my favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's the craziest thing that's happened. I think the pandemic was, you know, it was a lot of things to a lot of people, but that for you is such growth. <sighs> was that a sound effect too? Yes. <laughs> I actually think Connor embodies this. I hope we continue to innovate. I really am a big believer that clearly life and the world and existence is dynamic. So you have to stay dynamic. And I hope we continue finding new things to do on the podcast and growing it and making it nutritious. And I'm grateful to people who listen to it. And I hope we get better at it. And it has been a blast talking movies with you guys. I hadn't really thought about it, Daniel, until you said it. But without even realizing it, this has been an outlet to have movie conversations that have sustained me my whole life. And in fact, now it's regular. So without even realizing it, I probably, I've often felt very guilty and I want to knock wood. I've, I've often felt very guilty. Although the pandemic did hit us very hard in certain ways. My wife's father died of COVID. That was very, very, very rough. And that was a very rough period. There were other ways where we grew and we did this podcast and I'm very grateful we had it. And I'm very grateful that you guys were willing to work your butts off during COVID to keep Secret Movie Club alive and to grow. And it's weird when you think what Secret Movie Club was before COVID and what it is now. It's a much bigger thing. It's an irony in a way. We didn't really tread water and I'm glad we didn't. We just were like, F it. <laughs> Let's go the other direction and grow this company in the middle of a pandemic. So thank you. Thank you guys. But enough about that. I don't want it to be a back padding thing. Moving on today uh, to celebrate the second anniversary. We are going to each talk about a movie that we love that other people are blah or actively dislike. That's how, that's how they react. Uh, who wants to kick it off? I'm going to go. Okay, all right. 1941. <laughs> get that clear in there. Mashpiece could be the greatest. Spielberg at its finest. I don't care anymore. All right? I don't care what anyone says about that movie. Well, 1941 clearly you do. I think that was a toilet is, flush. 1941 is a fucking masterpiece, man. A masterpiece. And you won't program it because you don't like true Spielberg, man. You, you just won't do it. Yet again, I will program 1941. I do think it's a good movie. I just don't think it's funny. And it's it's marketed as a comedy. And, and there, there, there you go. You use that word. Not funny. You're dead wrong. It is funny. John Belushi's hilarious. Dan Aykroyd's hilarious. War Notes is incredible. 
I could go on and on and on for Slim Pickens, Toshiro Mafune. Tim Matheson, Nancy Allen. Okay, those two I could get care less about. <laughs> these are these are all other names of people in this <laughs> unfunny movie. <laughs> I don't know, keep going. I just you always come at me like I hate it. I don't hate it. I think we're just matching a lot of times, Edwin. That's true. I think you don't you don't understand that people match the energy you project at them, and you project a very aggressive, confrontational energy. And so that's why people come back at you with that. Yeah, I was telling Martha last night, she was trying to understand my relationship with you, Edwin, because she was like, why don't you write songs like that for me? And she was joking. (laughs) And I was like, well, I will, number one, because I love you with all my heart. You're my wife. But number two, I love Edwin, and Edwin stresses me out. And so... (laughs) (laughs) You don't think you stress me out, Craig, with all the stuff you're doing? But back to 1941, still one of Spielberg's greatest masterpieces he's ever done. And I just want to show the movie like there's no tomorrow. The score is incredible. It's practical, and some of the miniature effects are insanely, brilliantly good. Again, the John Williams score will forever be Spielberg's best collab. We have John Williams on that movie. I worship that score like there's no tomorrow. Boom. Let's take that, people of America. I think one day when I get the courage to sit through it again... <laughs> I'll do a defend this movie with Edwin about it because I did not like it. I am in the common camp, but this is not a podcast for the common opinion. This is for the outsider opinion today. Well, my favorite way to watch 1941 is I put it on an iPod touch and I kind of prop it up while I'm using the restroom. (laughs) I'm kind of in the the middle ground of it. I think it's super bloated, but also this like kind of live action cartoon vibe. But I'm in the same camp that I don't think it's super funny. Like the tone's really weird, but I think it's fun. By the way, the view that Spielberg shares. Spielberg says he's proud of 1941, but it's a miss because it's supposed to be a comedy and he didn't make it funny. He he says that. You and I are agreeing with the man who made it. And my favorite thing, though, is that he made Jaws. He made Close Encounters. Can probably do whatever he wants. This. <laughs> but you know, we also have 1941 to thank for Raiders. Yes. It's really important to remember that had he not made 1941, he may have continued on that trend. But because of 1941, Lucas pitched him Raiders on, we're going to prove that you can bring it in on budget, on schedule. And Spielberg really wanted to prove that. It's the only movie Spielberg storyboarded every single shot on. And it is my personal favorite Spielberg movie. I, I've been struggling with this concept. I narrowed it down to three movies. I'm going to say the other two because they were warrant discussion in the future. I think two movies that are underrated and misunderstood. The 2010 remake of The A-Team. Super fun, great action movie. And 2019's, and I mean this specifically in its 120 frame version, Ang Lee's Gemini Man. Mm -hmm. Okay, I actually... (laughs) I agree. We did some Ang Lee stuff recently. That's me being Edwin towards Craig and also being the three billboards outside Eving, Missouri. Why no? All <laughs> these Ang Lee Gemini movies st- still know Gemini Man. How, how so? Why so? Well, I know that the 4K version you can watch in 60 frames, but how we need to get like a Dolby projector. We need to make so much money just to stream the 120. It might even be 240. Regardless, the film I brought to the table today, a film of immense importance to me during the pandemic, wasn't a huge hit. was a sequel to a movie that was a relatively big hit that has decent reviews. This one also kind of in the decent to lower spectrum on its initial release, I think, will also find its reevaluation as it should. 2015's Magic Mike XXL. I've heard good things about that. Eh. It's less that it was negatively received, just like not talked about. It sort of came and went. It was projected to do big numbers on its release day. 
did not do big numbers. And then I feel like it just sort of swept away. People that I follow on things warmly received it, especially now, kind of in the reappraisal thing. I like the first Magic Mike. I think it's a good movie, good Soderbergh movie. I think XXL is a different ballgame. It's this beautiful portrait of friendship and empowerment. And it's very, you know, we've talked about horny movies. It's very horny. It's all about self-love, which I think in, especially for movies that sort of deal with like masculinity, there's always like a very easy way to go about it. But this one's all about like, you know, you gotta love it. It has this scene in a 7-Eleven convenience store type establishment of a gentleman tripping on mushrooms or on some type of hallucinogenic and he performs I Want It That Way to a store clerk. And it is just, to have been on set that day must have been really just a, an incredible experience. That's sort of mine. I think I love to see movies that shift sort of tonally, but feel true to like the original mission with sequels. Sometimes I feel like I talk about these things and it sounds like a bit. There's no bit. Magic Mike XXL is about a, a stripper who has given up on the stripper life and then his relationships kind of failed. And so he gets back together, kind of an Avengers moment, gets back together with his team and they're going to go to um, Tampa, to Myrtle Beach to put on one last show. And that show, ladies and gentlemen, delivers the goods. I don't know if you've seen it, Connor, but there's a dance to Closer by Nine Inch Nails that somehow retains a PG-13 rating. <laughs> uh, I believe it's PG-13. I haven't looked at a movie rating in forever, but it's really great. It's so entertaining and phenomenal. I just want to make sure we're respecting Channing Tatum. He's okay. I respect him. I respect him. I want to talk about the 12th highest grossing film of all time. So in some ways, it's still a popular movie. But Avengers Age of Ultron, one of the black sheep of the MCU, usually pretty commonly considered one of the worst. One of my favorites, though. Genuinely, I just rewatched it on a beautiful 4K upgrade. It reminds me the most of MCU as TV, which is maybe its own issue or whatever, but I'm okay with it because I don't care because I just want to be entertained like an old Roman emperor. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think about the X-Files and the X-Files, I'm not going to explain the concept of the X-Files, but what was fun about the X-Files Obviously, there was them investigating spooky stuff, but the real fun was the relationship between the leads. And the Monster of the Week episodes were always the best episodes. Anytime they went into mythology, it would get kind of bogged down by trying to actually invest us in story, as opposed to just seeing Mulder and Scully having fun investigating like a weird fish man. And Avengers Age of Ultron is the monster of the week of the Avengers movies. It's kind of just about them fighting a crazy robot. It's an inverse Iron Giant, a robot that's made for peace that goes nuts, who then creates his own Iron Giant, his own robot that he is making that gets turned into good. I think it's a really fun movie in that way. And, and I like that bond. I like the characters. There's a great scene where they're hanging out and trying to lift Thor's hammer like a party game. I think there's a lot of things in it also that... Um, Lately, I guess there's been a Republican primary in Texas. I'm from Texas originally, and so I keep getting texts about all these Republican primary candidates. And the way they frame things is always so funny because everything they frame is good. I'm like, that's, I don't like that. And everything they frame is like, you shouldn't like this. I'm like, that sounds pretty good to me. And when people talk about Age of Ultron, I feel that way sometimes where people are like, ugh, Hawkeye's farm. I love the Hawkeye's farm stuff. I think it actually expands the characters. You got a nice little, there's a searcher's reference mm. in the movie. Craig, I actually took a picture of it to show to you via, this is a great way to show pictures to people. I love pictures on a podcast. Over a video but here's captain america in the doorway of hawkeye's house 
Do I have anything else? I have way too many notes. <laughs> I'm in Connor's camp on this. I think this was like, at least in my like circle, was pretty panned on release. I think Ultron has some of the best zingers. There's like a line in the movie that's um, even the dinosaur, like the dinosaurs went extinct. Every time stuff starts to settle, there's an extinction event. And he delivers a line that's like, when the earth starts to settle, God throws a stone. And believe me, he's winding up. And James Spader's like beautiful voice delivery of it just makes me like, it's Saturday morning cartoon pulp and it's so good. Mark Ruffalo like waving at the remains of a robot being, there's like a computer program that's torn apart, which is visualized. And Mark Ruffalo's like, look at this, it's rage. <laughs> it's just full of character moments. And those are my favorite. I think the best things about the big team up movies is when you have these and they don't, they don't feel like fan service. They feel like actual things that are evolving things. And it's very odd. And like the big team up movies, like Connor said, to get, this moment where they're just kind of after the party, hanging around, trying to like lift Thor's hammer. And it's just about them, like how they exist when they're not fighting people. And I think that's really lovely. Or there's the language runner. Somebody says a cuss word and Captain America like criticizes them for their language. And then the rest of the movie, everybody's making fun of Captain America for that. The cut to title is great too. It's the same thing. And I think like Iron Man 3 is in that wheelhouse where it's one of my favorites because it's very interested in character. It's a Shane Black movie. And Joss Whedon's a creep, but this is very much so a Joss Whedon movie, and I do like him as a director, and you can definitely feel his voice in this one. It's still a good movie. <laughs> um, you got robots talking to each other about morals. Vision and Ultron at the end of the movie are just talking about are humans worthwhile, even if they're not going to last? Things like that. Some really good action. I like superhero movies when the action is focused on saving people. And there's a lot of that, like maybe the most I've ever seen in a movie in this. It's very focused on them actively saving people. And um, Wanda's weird dream sequences are also cool. I could just like list a thousand little things about it, but I just think it's a fun blockbuster. John Ford is our director of the year. Two movies of John Ford that I'm a big fan of. They definitely have issues, but I'm a big fan of The Fugitive starring Henry Fonda from 1946 and Tobacco Road stars Gene Tierney and Ward Bond, which he made right around the time of Grapes of Wrath. And a lot of people generally consider those two of his worst movies. And I'm always a little befuddled by that. I definitely don't think they're his best. In the case of The Fugitive, which is an adaptation of a Graham Greene novel about a, a whiskey priest who is in a country that's outlawed the practice of your faith, they changed so much to get it by the censors in 1946. Like in the book, the priest had a kid and was having an ongoing affair with a woman. Dramatically, the movie is sort of wonky. But from the point of view of John Ford's style and John Ford's sequences and John Ford emotion. It was shot by Gabrielle Figueroa. It has these incredible scenes of people gathering to baptize a child with candlelight that is just like, talk about Kioscuro lighting. There's this great sequence, a tense sequence in a bar where it's almost John Ford as Sergei Eisenstein in his editing. And then with Tobacco Road, a lot of people knock it because it's a very low comedy version of The Grapes of Wrath. So he had just made Grapes of Wrath, which is John Steinbeck about, you know, these Oklahoma Dust Bowl farmers 
things that make the migration to California one of the best movies he ever made, one of the best movies of classic Hollywood. And then he follows it up just like within a year with this movie called Tobacco Road about a sort of rural people that's done as like a low comedy. And there's a lot of weird comedy about a guy who just wants to have sex with this girl. And it almost feels like a mirror image of The Grapes of Wrath. And you're like, what? what? And I get why a lot of people are like, oh, no, this is John Ford I don't like. But when I see it, I'm like, yeah, this is John Ford doing a comedy. It kind of plays in a funny way with Grapes of Wrath as a like, here is the version of that story that's a drama. And then here's the version of that story that's a comedy. But the version of that story that's a comedy is actually just as Fordian, just as interesting. Again, it's got problems. I think Ford was genuinely funny. But like Spielberg, I often feel that Ford's funniest movies are the ones that weren't comedies. In the same way that I feel like Spielberg is at the funniest when he injects comedy in another genre than when he tries to out and out do comedy. And I definitely think Ford is a bit of the same way, but it's got Ford sequences. It's got a sequence I remember with someone crawling to a car. We're showing it where I was like laughing on the ground. I was like, this is hilarious. (laughs) But a lot of people don't like it. So I'm not a fan of the stiff Ford movies where you can feel like he's, I don't know what to do here. They saddled me with a big budget spectacle movie because they know I can bring it in on budget and give it that look and I just don't have a feeling for it. Those ones where I don't feel that there's a lot of Ford in them or that he's a little awkward are maybe less favorites, but I would just recommend to people Tobacco Road, The Fugitive. If you want to learn about movie making and get something out of it, I think those are two wholly nutritious movies. I haven't seen Tobacco Road, but I've seen The Fugitive and I dig The Fugitive. That's Henry Fonda's The Priest, right? Yeah, exactly. Pedro Armendariz is the fascist soldier. And then Dolores Del Rio is the woman with the child who runs the bar. What fits in, we talked about a few weeks ago about religious stuff, but it's sort of in that weird, it's like a very Catholic guilt piece from what I remember. The one thing I remember is it feels really weird because I think it came out right after My Darling Clementine. And it goes from that to like this very small kind of character piece that's like a super slow burn. But the thing I remember reading about uh, after I watched it was that it was the thing I always thought was strange about it is it's trying to be an Emilio Fernandez movie. And in that, I think he was involved in the production. I don't know. To he what. was, a, yeah, assistant director. It feels almost more like his thing in terms of aesthetics, I should say. I think that's such an interesting thing if you're familiar with either of their work. It's like this weird split and feels like such a cool little artifact in Ford's work. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that movie. Great call. Yeah, shot in Mexico. Gabriel Figueroa, cinematographer, who was Fernandez's regular cinematographer. Definitely uh, Emilio Fernandez vibe, for sure. But just, yeah, Henry Fonda is a priest. That's all you need. But, but you're right. I, I also think it hits my sweet spot because it makes the point that if you outlawed an expression of spirituality, people would still practice it, which is sort of what Scorsese gets at in silence, which is that I think you need to separate what's bad about religion from the human impulse to spirituality or the human impulse to gather together and express a belief in something bigger than oneself. And I think that that's something that's very moving to me and something I I personally, you know, share. I, I don't remember a ton of details, but the shot that's always stuck with me or the scene, I should say, is there's like a chase through the cornfields. Oh, yeah, that's great with Ward. Yeah, that one's dynamite. It's such a cool shot. There's stuff I think about like modern directors in terms of like what gets paid tribute to. And I feel like it's we should have a we need a cornfield chase on horseback. And it, it's like a great Ford sequence. What makes Ford the reason we're doing Ford this year? Culture and final thoughts. Went to a record store the other day. I found something I was looking for for the longest time ever. Michael Mann's Thief on vinyl. Paid 15 bucks for it. Was it worth it? Yes. 
That's a good deal. Yes, it was. It was $39 at Amoeba. I was so close to buying it, but I said, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm proud of you. The Lord of Vinyl gave me a second chance, gave me a better deal, and boom, got her $15. It's a great story. And what lesson was the universe teaching you there, Adlin? That that gave me a discount. If you practice... <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud of you that you saved some money. I also bought a tape and another record, Fatal Beauty, which was okay. I saw the new Koganada movie after Yang, which is the other Colin Farrell movie from a few weeks ago. Great weekend for Colin Farrell with the Batman and after Yang. But after Yang is essentially about a family who have a android, a robot, that's helping raise their daughter. Their daughter's Chinese and they want to make sure that she's involved with her culture. So they buy a robot that's Chinese that's supposed to kind of feed into it. And the robot breaks and the entire thing becomes about Colin Farrell sort of coping with identity and how he was connected to this technology and like this persistent grief. It's sort of just about grief, but it's in the ways that that technology connected him to his family and what it meant. And then you also sort of learn how the robot was connected and this idea that human doesn't mean to be alive. The concept of alive is sort of existence instead of just like a singular thing. And it's really beautiful. I don't know if you guys ever saw um, Coconata's first feature, Columbus, with John Cho and Haley Lee Richardson. Also incredible. Super slow burn. Like, After Yang is sci-fi, but it is not. There's no action. There's no stakes. It is a character piece. And it's really beautiful. I was really surprised. And he did a Q&A afterwards. He's a very, very talented and introspective man. And then he followed that by introducing one of my favorite movies, Afterlife, which I know we've done. But he talked about it so eloquently that I had to stay to watch it because I was like, oh, now I have to do this because he borrowed, you know, Afterlife, After Yang. But Afterlife is such an incredible, incredible movie, which I think we've talked about before on the podcast. But starting the year strong, like the best of the year stuff for being March, when usually we just have kind of garbage, is very strong so far in 2022. I watched Truck Turner recently, and that movie whips ass. That movie's great. Yes. Isaac Hayes starring and scored by Black Exploitation. You get to see Nichelle Nick. Ahura yelling a lot of really crass things at people. Some weird touches. I kept watching it and I was like, this is a movie Tarantino's definitely seen. Obviously, I got this soundboard set up. This one's for you, Edwin. Welcome to the party, pal! Yeah. Yeah, you can find me at twitch.tv slash Connor Cruz and watch me play D&D Tuesdays 7 Pacific, twitch.tv slash NerdHala. Fun fact. The Truck Turner theme is in Kill Bill. And we just we just screened uh, South Park. Isn't Isaac Hayes chef? I watched that on like some, I feel like it was a bootleg DVD when I was a teenager. And all I remember from that movie is there's like a funeral scene and all the other like pimps come to pay their, res- and they sprinkle Coke over the dead body. Incredible moment. I'll have to I'll have to rewatch that one. That one rules. This is cinema, says Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw I'm trying to catch up with a bunch of movies that uh, slipped through the cracks last few years, quite a few years since I started having children. I caught up with 2017's Logan Lucky, which I hadn't seen. Nice. Talking about yeah, talk about Soderbergh. Talk about Channing Tatum and Adam Driver. Daniel Craig, Riley Keogh is incredible in that. A terrific movie. I need to catch up with some of Soderbergh's work since he's come back from his retirement, quote unquote. You know, for me. I I thought it was so tight, so concise. Soderbergh has really clearly, I think, embraced the idea that he wants to go the way of the old directors who were directing one, two, or three movies a year to really build up his craft. And when I was watching Logan Lucky, I was like, man, there's not a wasted shot in this movie. It's totally stylish, but it's actually surprisingly economical. 
I thought the performances were great. I thought the script was incredible. And I thought the movie was a lot, a lot of fun. I thought the heist was very well thought out. The thing I thought about, though, at the end, and I hosted it this week uh, in our social media, was with these heist movies, I think it's really hard to do a heist where when you think about it, you, you say, I think that actually could have happened. I think they actually could have pulled that off. Oftentimes, I find the heist genre is more about suspending your disbelief so that you can have a fun ride. But at the end, you can be like, eh, they never would have pulled that off. And, and I definitely think that in this one, it's so relied on so many things going right at so many key moments and so many characters behaving in a certain way. But then it does this thing, and I don't want to ruin it. The last shot of the movie, I do want to ask. I guess, guys, I'm going to ruin it, so if you don't want to hear about this, turn it off. The last shot of the movie seems to imply that they're actually going to get caught and that the Logan curse is actually going to befall them, that the fact that they aren't very lucky because Hillary Swank is not going to let it go. She plays an FBI agent who's there at the bar watching them uh, when they all think that they can kind of relax. And I thought, on one hand, that's very interesting because the movie seems to be about how these folks, these West Virginia folks, they never catch a break. And I really appreciate a genre movie still getting in some current subtext. At the same time, I was like, wait, the last shot, I was like, oh, am I... Was I supposed to enjoy this movie or now am I bummed? I never thought about it until you put it out. Half of me stinks like she's just there randomly at a bar thinking Adam Driver's pretty cute. But in the other side of me, like <laughs> she's probably undercover and she's probably going to get to them. But I don't want to believe that because I want them to get away because they look like they deserve what they got. That ending still gets to me every time I finish the picture. It just can't. I just, I don't want to know. It's an interesting ending. It's a very Soderbergh ending because for the majority of the movie, you're like, ah, this is, oh, you know, Ocean 7-Eleven. They even say that in there. And you're like, this is great. And then at the end, you're like, oh, I don't want them to get caught. And it feels like Soderbergh wants you to leave with a conflicted, complex emotion. Also, it feels like at that point, like, I don't even know if she can get them, if it's about being caught or just like this obsession that she has to know or see how you exist after that type of thing. No, but I'm in the same. A heist movie that also makes you cry. The shot of his daughter performing Take Me Home Country Road with him silhouetted in the doorway is stunning. Rachel and I talk a lot about that. There is no better Adam Driver's delivery of cauliflower is something we repeat often and should be in the academy museum just a room of him saying that no they're all great there's so much great dialogue in that too it was like twitters i know all of them <laughs> the entire like game of thrones subplot in the prison oh yeah yeah okay happy second anniversary everybody it was wonderful to have you go to secretmovieclub.com or eventbrite to see all of our tickets we got our palm Springs 70 millimeter getaway first week of may we'd love to have you i'll be poolside baby and hopefully working as well poolside <laughs> next week is secret movie club podcast 98 we're actually doing something a little different next week we're having some filmmakers that just played the berlin film festival but there was some controversy around it so i don't even know how much it's being talked about yet. They made, I'm going to butcher the German here, but they made a movie called Der Teufel, Der Kindergarten in Die Sexy Dama, which I think translates as The Devil, Kindergarten, and a Sexy Lady. It caused a real big stir, and we're going to have two of the filmmakers at least, I think, on there. We're going to interview them. I hope you guys will join us for that, but we want to stay engaged with current cinema. So that'll come out next week. As always, the episode was edited by Connor Lloyd Cruz. Um, and there you go. Uh, so I just want to go out because we've been really two years. People have changed. Edwin, I am going to ask you just one more time because I want to make sure I didn't miss mishear it. Mama Mia, you're just your no, your definitive, no, no. The definitive opinion. 
Go to hell. Okay, well, you want... Okay, that's fine. It's crap. <laughs> okay. All right. Guys, it was wonderful. He changed it again. Another 180. We'll see. Maybe he'll go back and forth. Oh. <laughs> Never. Guys, have a great week. See you next week. Bye-bye.